Now, Galatians 4, why don't we read that? I want to read verses uh, 1 through 7 very quickly. This is seen as the, um, uh, theologically, as the book's central context, or the uh, central text, rather, uh, which gives us a great opportunity, hopefully, to answer all your questions that maybe you've had. Chapter 4, verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. All right, that's an illustration. In the same way, we also, when we were children, notice the words, the word we there twice. In the same way, we also, you're not in that we, by the way. When we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's another we. And because you, now he's switching to you, as you can see, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Gerald, would you pray for us, brother? Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning for you to speak to us through your word, for you to give us ears to be able to hear the things that you would have us to learn. Pray for Chris as he teaches the things that you put in his mind and in his heart to teach all this week as he study. So we pray against distractions and just pray that our minds would be fully in tune to listen to and hear from you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we said, this is known as the central text theologically. Uh, That gives us a great opportunity for an overview um, of what we have covered. And also, this this portion reaches forward into chapter 5 as well. So, we will be covering... In this overview, things we have yet to cover, but we have gotten a sneak peek of. That means then our goal is to cinch down these truths. And the reason for that is because of verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me, if you would. Paul is covering this, this, this theological text, this, this central text. And then he gets to verse 11, and look what he says here. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Isn't that interesting? So he gives this this, this central idea. He lays out here verse 4. Then he says, formerly, in verse 8, formerly this is what you were like, you Gentiles were like. And then he says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So if you think for a minute... um, you know, if I have appeared in any way frustrated uh, or struggling, um, there, there is a sense of that with these truths. There was a time that I weighed 244 pounds. 
I know, right? Some of you are like, I thought it was more than that. (laughs) When I got out of the Army in 1986, I weighed 120 pounds. I know, right? When I went into the Army in 1982, I weighed 120 pounds. But there was a time I weighed 244 pounds. I used to play golf with a guy uh, who was 40 years my senior, Jesse Stroud. Jesse Stroud had retired from the Army after 30 years. I met him at Fort Bragg when, after, well, when I was still in. He worked at a church there uh, as an administrator. And Jesse was a little fella. He's about, about, when he sat down, he's about that tall. And, uh, <laughs> but no, he was a little shorter than you. And um, Jesse was a little fella. And he would beat us all the time at golf. It was, imagine a guy's 40 years older to use a little guy. Jesse barely weighed 100 pounds. He'd beat us all the time. He would just, he's, I don't know if you're, if you're a golfer or ever played golf. Jesse just had a little rock, bink, just bink it right down, 175 yards right down the middle. And uh, from the senior tees, of course, but he just put it down the middle. And the rest of us are like, yeah, trying to kill it, you know. <laughs> And, you know, spraying it all over the place. And Jesse said one time, he said, I just can't hit the ball like you big fellas. And I said, big fellas? Big fellas? I've always been a little guy. Remember, I got out of the Army 120 pounds. I'm not a big fella. And um, I, I thought about what he said, but I just kind of blew it off. I'm not a big fella. And uh, then one day I went to the doctor with my uh, acid reflux. They were doing some different things. Ultimately, I had my uh, gallbladder taken out and... All kind of things. And I looked over at the, uh, I, I can't sit still for very long. Got to do something. There's all of those neat little tools in the doctor's office anyway, right? <laughs> Somebody's paying for them, probably me or my insurance. And so <laughs> I saw my, my, saw my, uh, my uh, records there and I thought, well, I might as well read them. And so I picked up my doctor's records and I looked in there and you wouldn't believe what I saw written there. It didn't say fat. It didn't say overweight. I read the word obese. How dare they call me obese? Obese. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm obese. I never, it never dawned on me I was obese. I had a frame that held 120 pounds and, and barely held it. I ver- I'm very small boned. I never dawned on me that I was obese. I looked in the mirror after that and I began to see myself very differently. I thought, Chris, you're fat. All, for, for years I'd weighed well over 200 pounds and that's, I don't carry it like many of you. I, carry it right, I carried it right here. Right here, and, and right here, okay? It shocked me how big I was. But for years, I didn't notice it. I began to eat 1,000 calories a day. In five months, I lost 70 pounds. But what happened is, the truth didn't change, did it? But I became aware of the truth, and I changed. Now, what Paul is saying to the Galatians is everything has changed because Christ came. But I'm afraid you don't see it. That's why he says, I'm afraid that I labored over you in vain. I'm afraid you don't see it. 
And my fear is for some of us in here, not the majority of us, but for some of us, you're hearing what I'm saying and you can answer the questions intellectually, but you don't really see what has actually happened all around us or what has actually changed since Christ has come in this world and has, and has come into your heart and life. And so we have the opportunity this morning to go through this verses 1 through 7 in particular, take our time and let the lights come on and realize you and I do not live in the same world as our neighbors live in. We are not hustling through the same world as Joe Biden is walking through. Do you hear me this morning, church? We are not, we don't live in the same environment as the lost world lives in. All things are new. And that is the truth. We're not made for a mediocre, carnal, fleshly world. Paul meant what he said in Galatians 1.4. Let's look at it very quickly. Who gave himself for our sins to save you from hell? Yes or no? Look at it again. Who gave himself for our sins to save us from hell? Yes or no? No. To deliver us from this present evil age. If you are a believer, you have been delivered from the present evil age. And my fear is you think you still weigh 244 pounds or you're not aware of it. You have been delivered from the present evil age, but like the Galatians, you want to go back before God in has before God was incarnate and came to the world and made all things new. So let's look back now at our text in Galatians 4. And let's try to get the facts straight so we can get our heads straight. Question number one. Who was under the law? Verse number one. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a what? No different than a slave. Though he's an owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we, that's Jews, in the same way, we, when we, that's Jews, were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but I want you to be able to think in the same picture that I have. There's Adam, there's Abe, there's Moses. We need a bigger board. We're going to need a bigger boat. Moses, there's the cross, here's today, good enough. Okay, here's our timeline. Where are we at here? Though he is an owner of everything. So he's talking here about this crew right here. Here's your we, all right? But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. Here's the date set by the father. Verse 3, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. 
Everything here, we find the elementary principles of the world. You follow me? You and I are not meant to live by the elementary principles of the world. What Steve was talking about this morning was a Catholic church that was trying to put people, and still does, in, under the elementary principles of the world. All right? Notice, if you will, the we you contrast that Paul draws. He does it in chapters 3 and 4. He uses five different phrases to describe Israel's condition under the Old Covenant. Look back, if you would, at chapter 3. In verse number 10, he says, under the curse of the law. Chapter 3, verse 10. Verse number 23. All who rely on works of the law are under the curse. Verse 25. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned. Now we are seeing in verse number two, we read a minute ago, but he, now that's an illustration of a Jew, but he is under guardians and managers. Now verse number five, look at verse five. He says, to redeem those who were under the law. Now notice, not one of these phrases has reference to Gentiles. It is important to understand that Gentiles, during the entire period of Israel's confinement under the law, were under the more rigid Mosaic Code. Gentiles have never been under the law. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Ever. When Paul was in Galatia witnessing to them, and they wanted to bow down to Zeus and so forth, thinking he and uh, Apollos uh, were those guys. I'm sorry, he and uh, Barnabas. Barnabas. Thank you. I don't know where I got Apollos from. Acts 14, verse 16. He says these words, In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Now, let me help you here to understand, because I want to make sure we get, the, we get this down. Who was under the law? The Jews in the Old Testament were under the law. No one in this room was ever under the law. Now, you may have been brought up covenantal. You may have been taught the Ten Commandments or the, uh, when you were a child. But you were never dealt with as a slave. Look back at verse number one. I mean that the heir... Gentiles were never heirs. I mean that the heir as a young, as long as he as it is a child, is no different from a, a slave. You were never a slave. Prior to the advent of the Messiah, that's the coming of the Messiah, the Israelites' love for God and neighbor was expressed in obedience to every point of the law, not just the Decalogue. Decalogue meaning the Ten Commandments. Listen, it was unholy to break any part of the entire law. It was unholy to gather sticks on the Sabbath. It was unholy to reap an entire field. It was unholy to eat certain kinds of food. It was not possible to omit any detail prescribed by the law or commit any transgression committed, uh, forbidden by the law and still to be considered holy. So, who was under the law, church? Jews. Two, who was actually redeemed from the curse of the law? 
Jews. Gentiles were never redeemed from the curse of the law. Look at verse number four of our text. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born where? Born under the law. To redeem those, next five words with me, who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. Let's go back to chapter three, if you might. Chapter 3 and verse number 13. Christ redeemed us, those are the Jews, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Gentiles. Now we're going to see a transition here in a minute. We'll point it out. So that we, the Jews, might receive the promised spirit through faith. Look at verse 23. Now before faith came, we might would say before the faith came, we were held, we, the Jews, captive under the law, imprisoned, until the coming of the faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, or the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So what we're trying to point out and make clear before we move forward here is that the Jews were under the law. They were the only people ever under the law. Number two, we're trying to make clear is that the the Jews were the ones actually redeemed from the curse of the law. Now, this is vital. You heard the term unintended consequences, right? The road to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. What did did Reagan say? One of the scariest phrases of all? I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Right? Because, hey, they're going to help us, but there's always unintended consequences, right? So we don't want to meddle with the scriptures. We want to keep the words of scriptures meaning what they mean. All right. Third question. How in the world then does this help us Gentiles? Right? If we were never under the law, if we were not redeemed from the curse of the law, how does this help us? Well, it certainly helps us that we were never under the curse of the law, don't it? Look at verse number 4 again. Chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son... How about those next three words? Help me now. Born of a woman. So Jesus wasn't just born under the law. He was also born of a woman. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, I think that's the way all of us are born, aren't we? (laughs) Don't say I said that because I don't want to get in trouble. All right. Verse five. Let's see. To redeem those who are under the law, we said that, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, there's a you now. All of a sudden, he's transitioning. He went from we to you. 
God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Hallelujah. Go back to chapter 3. We're going to look at the transitions there that I mentioned a moment ago. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Those are the Jews by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Notice he goes from Jews to Gentiles. Go down to verse number uh, 25. He'll do the transition again. Sounds like a dance, right? Hey, let's all stand up and do the transition. All right. All right, verse 25. But now that faith has come, we, those are the Jews, no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, what's the word? You are all sons of God through faith. So he keeps making the transition there. Again, how does delivering or redeeming Jews from the law or from the law's curse help or apply to us Gentiles? In Adam, we are all sinners and in bondage to sin. We were never in bondage to the law, but we are in bondage to sin. Israel's experience, now stay with me. Israel's experience under the law of Moses, we said this last week, magnifies that bondage and clarifies the human plight. Watch this. By creating a representative sample. By being born of a woman. We read that in verse 4. And we also understand the necessity of that from Genesis 3.15. By being born of a woman, Christ identifies with our human situation in general. By being born under the law, He identifies with Israel in particular. In living sinless under the law of Moses, Christ not only qualifies as the Redeemer for that representative people, meaning the Jews, but at the same time and on the same terms, He qualifies as the Redeemer for the Gentiles. Hallelujah. Those of us who were never under the law or the curse of the law. Simply put, Jews and Gentiles have the same spiritual needs because of sinful natures. Jews had stricter requirements imposed than Gentiles did. That is, Gentiles lived under a less clearly defined revelation of the law of God. However, what Christ accomplished in fulfilling those stricter requirements established a righteous basis on which God can justify all believers, Jews and Gentiles. How do we feel about that, brethren? Does that make sense? Do we understand that? If you don't, you got a question, now's your chance. All right, good. All right. No longer under the discipline of the law, who then disciplines us because we still need a whole bunch of discipline. Can I get an amen on that one? Yes, we do. Chapter 4 again. Verse number six. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So notice, you have the advent of the sun. Advent meaning the coming of the sun. And once Jesus was resurrected, we have the advent of the the Spirit. Okay? I wasn't planning on doing this, but let's look real quick at Romans chapter 1. Yeah, Romans 1, 3. Concerning His Son who was descended from David according to the flesh... Does that sound like strength or weakness? Flesh. Weakness. And was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection. So He came prior to the resurrection. This is known as flesh. And this is known as power because of the spirit. <laughs> Spirits. I know a lot of languages. <laughs> I need to keep it on the bottom shelf here. You and I are Christians. We live on this side of things, ladies and gentlemen. We need to stop trying to go back to this right cheer. Yeah, can I get a couple more amens? What we forget, like I said, one about me being a big fat boy and not knowing it, fatter than anybody in this room, trust me, because this this frame ain't meant to hold more than about 150 pounds, which means it's a little over now still. But anyway, we need to open our eyes and realize for believers, all things are new. We don't need to go back to any of this right here. We live in a day of power and spirit where, again, and this is what Gerald's, he had to do what he had to do. This is what Gerald's trying to awaken our eyes to. This is why you meet people who have such confidence in Christ. Because they are aware that for us, all things are new. I realize that Romans 8 says even the world is groaning now, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of everything. But ladies and gentlemen, that God himself lives inside of you and I. And, and, and chapter 5 will tell us more about that, so I need to settle down. Galatians 5, verse number 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We don't need to run back to the days of weakness and flesh and be treat to act like we're in the days of immaturity. That's another uh, way this is described. We don't need to go back to the days of immaturity. Okay? Days of milk. That's what, uh, that's what uh, Hebrews chapter 5 is all about. We are mature. We're grown-ups. Uh, we're all about to meet. All right? This is who we are in Christ. Uh, maybe it was you, Eric, this morning talking about our identity is in Christ. It's not in who's in the White House. Yes. 
Look, your identity is not even in who your mama gave birth to. It's not in the weakness. It's in power and strength and a sound mind. That's why Paul is constantly saying, get your eyes off these things and and, uh, uh, look to heaven and the cross. This is who we are, ladies and gentlemen. It's not in us for no more. Listen to what he says to the Corinthians. The sting of death is what? Sin. The worst thing we face is death, but the sting of death is sin. But listen, the power of sin is the law. Who's under the law? Is anybody here under the law? (laughs) So there's no power. So what, how should we live? Therefore, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Christian people, we are supposed to be... a. Take it, with a, take it the right way. But we are to be the aggressive, going after it, getting it, get her done. We're supposed to be those people. Right? You say, well, I don't have a benefactor. You've got the creator of the world. What, who, who, do you, who's your, who do you need? Look, if Lincoln could say me and God are a majority, what about us? All right, where are we at? We have an outline in front of us, folks. <laughs> Listen to Romans 8, 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, question number five. Who is now under the law? You know the answer, right? So look what he says to the folks here. Verse 7. So you are no longer a slave... But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Now, verse 8, he's talking to Galatians, he's talking to former pagans, heathens, not Jews. But look what he says here. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So, when he's talking about the, to the Galatians here, let's get a different color. When he's, we want some diversity. When he's talking to Galatians here, when he talks about them going back, he's not talking to them about going back under Moses, but it's still characterized by immaturity, by flesh, and by weakness. Do you understand that? If you understand that, say yes. If you don't understand it, tell me so I can help with this. All right. So when he talks about them going back, remember, he says, you were enslaved. That's why this was still the best thing going. Um, I know your name. Greg. Greg, when we talk about the advantages that Paul talks about in Romans, about the, what advantage advantageth it to be a Jew, this was the best thing going. The Mosaic Law was more just than any other system prior to the cross, bar none. All right. So, back to where we were. 
Verse 9, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless and elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So for these Gentiles, he says, now you're going back. You're going back to this goofiness. You're going back to the weakness. So for us, ladies and gentlemen, for us to walk away from a life of faith and all that Christ has for us, to, it, we can go back to this weakness as well. We can go back to the elementary. I'm tired of writing. Elementary. Remember, this is maturity. We can walk back to immaturity as well. Hence, Paul's writing to the Corinthians and saying, what? You're acting like a bunch of what? Bunch of babies. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You're acting like a bunch of babies. All right. So the question real quick here. We've covered one of these groups. Some groups don't live out the freedom of the new covenant. And we're not just talking about secularists. Secularists have all gone back here. The whole kit and caboodle. But, but uh, Catholics were mentioned this morning. They go back. Who else goes back? What other groups do we know that, that want to drag us back here? Holiness Pentecostals. Pentecostals, tell me how they do that. Holiness, specifically, they set a rules and regulations on how one should dress and behave and what they can and cannot do. And that's uh, become more supreme than grace. So legal, legalism. Legalism. All right. Yeah, that's fine. Just trying to come up with a word for it. Thank you. So holiness slash Pentecostals. That's what you said, right? Okay, what else? Seven day, I have them written down. So yeah, seven day, seven day. For them, it's, it's, it's the Saturday Sabbath, the, the actual Jewish Sabbath, right? So do they do Friday at six to Saturday at six like the Jews did? Or do they do Saturday morning to Saturday evening or Sunday morning? They, she says Friday, whatever. Either way, either way, they do, they do the Saturday, Okay. The diet? They have dietary laws also? Man, they'd have got me when I was 244. Because uh, a lot of that 244 was ribs, baby. Uh, I told them not to give me a church credit card. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, but there are also Christian Sabbatarians, right? Aren't there Christian Sabbatarians? Right? Who do Sunday as the Sabbath, Right? Okay, what else? There are other groups. There's lots of other groups. Hebrew Israelites, they've come up a lot lately because uh, some have been trying to visit a brother who's been hanging with them. There are lots of groups, right? So it's important to understand there are lots of groups. If we can realize that we are living over here and we're not living here, we can understand that people are trying to drag us back here. And our own carnal nature wants to drag us back here. Well, I hesitate to say this. But there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, Calvinistic Christians who call themselves Reformed who would put us back under the law of Moses, at least some of it, not to the extent the Seventh Day Adventists do, but for sanctification, and that would frankly uh, be uh, Reformed Baptists are that way, and Presbyterians are that way. 
and I guess to some extent Anglicans are that way. So there's Catholic life. They're, they, they're saying some way the law of Moses is still bearing on us as Christians. They're, they're putting you back under the law. Would I be... Would I be correct in saying that's why we adhere to the first London Baptist Confession and not the second London Baptist Confession? Right. And the, the second London Baptist Confession is a baptized version of the Westminster Confession, which is covenant theology, which is law of Moses. Right. Now they got the gospel. I'm, I'm right. So we would, we would say they're orthodox. Yeah. We would say they're orthodox, but they're orthodox people who, who, who do... Who, who, who might struggle with some of the things we've said here this morning. Yes. And, and they, they typically would say that, if I'll try to get this out correctly, okay? They typically would say that what Paul is dealing with here is not the law, I'll come to you, is not the law. Paul is not dealing with the law, but Paul is dealing with legalism. But I think when you get to the end of chapter 4, where Paul says, Do you not hear the law? Abraham had two sons. You simply cannot uphold that point. Because Paul had, uh, Paul had two sons. Abraham had two sons. His sons were, help me, Ishmael and Isaac. I don't think you can say that Ishmael represents legalism. Okay, because he says, boot out that other son. Boot him out completely. You had something to say, sir? Yeah, it was requested that Steve could give an example of what he was talking about. Well, it's a matter of, you know, you've got an airplane coming in. It's how you approach the runway. They would put us back under... Uh, well, let's say the Ten Commandments. The, they say there's three parts of the Law of Moses, moral, civil, and ceremonial, and they want to bust it up. And they'll throw out the civil and ceremonial, but they'll keep you under the moral part of it. And it's true that was what was moral then is moral now, but we're, we're coming at it from the New Covenant and Christ, not from Moses. So the, their, their starting point for ethics is Moses, and it ought to be Jesus. And so... They're the ones who would put the Ten Commandments up on the courtroom walls and things like that to put people back under Moses. And I feel it's a, a wrong emphasis is the problem. So when, when these are broken up, number one, this, this division came to us by Thomas Aquinas, a 13th century priest, but is never given, Moses never broke them up this way, and Paul never broke them up this way. So you won't, you won't find this anywhere in Scripture. Again, it was given by Thomas Aquinas and has been repeated by some theologians through the years. Okay? And when the, Paul says to boot out uh, Ishmael, he doesn't break them up into three. He says boot out all of Ishmael. Okay, I'll leave that up there in case you, you, you want that. Also, um, I have... Um, some extra questions here in case people ask. I wrote some things down. So I'll jump to that one. I think someone may have asked this uh, the other, a couple weeks ago, and I thought maybe it would be helpful. Why then, why then is the law of Christ and the law of Moses appear to be so similar? Anybody ever had that thought or question? Number one, they're not. They are somewhat similar, but they're not. 
if you really look at them. If you look at the law of Moses, you just, you just simply haven't read the law of Moses, okay? Uh, but there are some similarities, okay? Well, evolutionists say the reason monkeys and humans are similar is because we came from monkeys. Do you believe that? Okay. Well, uh, covenantal people will say, and by the way, I have a lot of covenantal people I love, okay? And I admire and I read, and I have quoted a lot of covenantal people in, when I'm teaching through the book of Galatians, okay? Because, I, look, I'm a, I'm a huge B.B. Warfield fan, okay? You've heard me talk about B.B. Warfield. He's a covenantal guy, okay? So, that having been said, I have no axes to grind. But... So people will say, well, the law of Christ came from the law of Moses. Well, then humans came from monkeys, okay? No, we creationists say the reason humans and monkeys are similar is because they have the same creator, creator, okay? Well, the reason the law of Christ and the law of Moses have some similarities is because they have the same... God's character hasn't changed. What you'll find has never changed is that we, God's character always produces... Uh, or, or, or God's um, uh, is always described to us, God's law is always described to us in the terms of love God and love your, love God and love your neighbor, okay? So you're going to find those similarities in the law of Christ, law of Christ. Did you see that? Somebody giggled at the law of Christ. Bless God around here. The law of Christ and the law of Moses. Okay. Can I interrupt? You sure can. Well, you know, Lisa and I were discussing this, and she used used to live in China, and I've noticed that lately she's been living here. (laughs) There are, there are, like, it's wrong to steal in China. It's against the law. And it's against the law to steal here. But she's not under the law of China anymore. She's under U.S. law. She doesn't think about the law of China anymore. And and, and that's us. We're not under Moses. We're under Christ. Amen. That is good. How many think my illustration was better? No. What were we say? Alan, you were nodding your head. Was there something you wanted to add? Yeah, I, I, I would express it that under the law, okay, well, let, let, let's put the holiness of God out here. The holiness of God falling short of the glory of God is what's been in Romans 1. Okay? It, of course, can be described as, you know, transactions, uh, 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 transgression, and uh, missing the mark, and all those other things. But it's only true of the glory of God. So the glory of God, His holiness, is the, the core thing that defines sin as sin. But under the law, it's expressed one way. Uh, it's expressed one way. And under the law, guys, if you, you preach that, then that points to horrible judgment and wrath. And if you preach it that way, then your orientation is a repentance that comes from fear. Uh, like Tim Keller, he's, a, he's one of those covenant guys, but he'll say it right when he says oh, that kind of approach leads to a repentance which loathes yourself. It's word theology. That's good. Right. So if, on the other hand, we see the orientation in Christ, that the holiness of God and the heart of sin is seen in Christ on the cross, that it was so horrible, sin is so horrible against the holiness of God, that it took nothing less than the Son of God dying on the cross to absorb that wrath. If that's the focus, that leads to a joy-based repentance that makes you loathe the sin that killed Christ. That's a joy-based repentance. So then ultimately then, what you have there is an orientation that it all starts from the holiness of God. 
but you have the motive of the love of Christ being the love of Christ on the cross. So you've got to have the love of Christ poured into your heart, Romans 5, 5, to do the law of Christ. And that's the place. Well, that moves to the second thing. So the first thing is the motive. What's behind the motive of conviction? Okay? It all is the holiness of God, but you've seen it through Moses or you see it through Christ on the cross. That's motive. Then Jesus, all the way through the New Testament, is the model. You follow in his steps. You can return a blessing because you had a blessing. What does it look like? You look at Jesus. He was the only one who fulfilled the sentiment of the Psalms and the wisdom of the Proverbs. It's Jesus as a model. So I'll end with this. If you look at Ephesians and another great covenantal teacher of mine, David Pallison, he has a great essay on uh, Council of Ephesians, where he takes Ephesians and says, look at where the law of Moses is there. Well, of course, you know, he repeats the law of Moses about children and their parents. But listen, I like to orbit around the two references to lying, okay, and stealing is in there too. And if you look at those passages, it ends with the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? The thief should stop stealing, not less than that, but then work and then give what motivates and models that but Jesus Christ. Amen. And then you're not supposed to lie. I, I have a good counseling brother who will write a whole book on thou shalt not lie and will never mention Ephesians that were members one of another. What makes lying to a Christian horrible and unthinkable is that Jesus is the motive and the model, and we're members one of another, and truth saves us, and truth must come out of our mouth. That makes lying horrible and unthinkable. That's the law of Christ. That should make you shut up. That's the conviction that leads you to a joyful repentance. So I've been preaching, I'm sorry. Do you see the, the, the reorientation from the law of Christ and the law of Moses? Does everybody see that, hear that? All right, we'll do one more, Jace. Yeah, I like to say we, we want handlebars. Yeah, faith doesn't offer handlebars. Yeah, and so we run back to this, yeah. Run back to weakness, the elemental. Uh, the we <laughs> Yeah, we want to go back to Egypt. How often do they say, let's go back to Egypt? This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.